We are ready for um, Colossians chapter 2 today. So if you have your Bible, please open up with me to Colossians chapter 2. And then if you don't mind, if you don't have a Bible with you today, would you raise your hand? Mike is just going to bring you a Bible that we want you to have and uh, part of just our culture here for you to have a Bible. Some of you guys have them on your phones. That's great too. Um, But Mike will bring you a Bible and uh, we're in Colossians chapter 2. We're going to bounce around a little bit today, a little bit more than normal. Hey, um... Again, I think today's just a good day for us to, to get out on a limb. Um, we have, as we did the, the financial meeting, and again, I, like I said, it's not something we do all the time. I'm going to do something a, a little bit different today that I don't do all the time, and I mean that. Um, but I, I feel like um, this message is kind of a gloves-off message. And, and oftentimes when I speak of the cults and I speak of isms and schisms, I, I kind of beat around the bush a little bit. And some of you guys know what I'm talking about, but I don't directly address certain issues because it, it's just, it's not needful. You know, if, if you preach the gospel and you preach Jesus and the main thing, then you don't have to, um, you don't have to worry about what everybody else is doing. We just, we just preach Jesus and we, we preach the gospel. You know, it's true of bank tellers that um, bank tellers don't study counterfeits. They, they, in order to know the real thing, they study the real thing. They study real money over and over and over again. And then when they see a counterfeit, because they know the real thing so well, they can identify a counterfeit. So that's always my philosophy of the gospel is, is teach the real thing. Teach the gospel of Jesus. Just teach what the word of God teaches. And then I don't have to spend a lot of time telling you why other folks maybe have some bad doctrine or some bad theology. But today's different um, because that's what the chapter that we're reading today is about, okay? So again, the, the nice thing about my style of preaching is um, I teach chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and, and we talk about, you know, we don't talk about money every week. But when, when the Bible talks about money in the chapter or the verse we're in, that's, we're going to cover it. When, when the Bible talks about a certain thing, that's when we cover it. You guys can feel comfortable with that, knowing that, you know, I, I maybe know about something that's going on in your life. And, you know, you come maybe like have this really bad problem with Twinkies and, you know, you happen to show up the next Sunday and the message is all about Twinkies. You're like, he, he pointed that at me. He knew that was for me. Like he said that just for me. And, but don't worry, I don't do that. I tried that a couple of times, like had like something going on, a message and I was going to preach it. I mean, I was going to come and fix it, you know, and I got there that Sunday, all worked all week on this message and the people I was going to preach it to. They didn't even show up, you know, and I was like, oh, man. So, you know, if, if the Holy Spirit convicts us where we are, then um, just have that, that ease of just knowing that um, we, we just, you know, one of the good things about, about the style that we do of chapter by chapter, verse by verse is just when, when it covers it, it covers it. Well, what Paul is covering, as you guys know, in Colossians chapter two is the truth about the cults. Um, in chapter one of Colossians, it's the truth about who Jesus is. Now, now Jesus made, and as we studied and really hammered home last week, Jesus made it one of the central themes of his ministry. And, and who Jesus is, is important that you have the right Jesus. Do you understand? As I explained last week, lots of people have the same vocabulary that we do as, as biblical Christians, but we have a different dictionary. You could talk to a Muslim about Jesus and, and we use the same term Jesus, but to the Muslim, Jesus is somebody different than, than to the evangelical Christian. You can talk to somebody who's LDS and they'll often point out to me that they have the name Jesus Christ right on their shirt. And, and yet the, the vocabulary of who Jesus is, is very different. You can talk to somebody who's Jehovah witness and we use the same term Jesus, but who that Jesus is to them and me is very different. And, you know, some folks might say, well, you know, to each his own and, you know, all these things. But really, Jesus didn't say that. Jesus made it one of the central themes of his life and his ministry and his teachings. And he brought his disciples up to a place called Teldan. It's the headwaters of the, the, the Jordan River in Israel. It's one of the most north places you can go in Israel. We go there on our tour. For those that are going with us to Israel in November, you'll get to see, you'll get to stand in the place that Jesus was. And, and the, the, the water just comes beautifully clear, crystal. I used to keep it in a little bottle. Brian and I, when we were there this year, we filled bottles up and brought them home. No, this ain't it. This was from the Holy Land too, but that's the oil to anoint, on, anoint you with. But And, and you, you bottle the water of the, the Jordan River as it comes out there. But in the, in the mountains that surround the Tel Dan, the headwaters of the Jordan River was a, was a pagan temple of different goddess. And you could still see the carvings in the place. And, and many different people would come and many different deities were worshipped in this place. 
And so Jesus brought his disciples there really at the height of, of Tel Dan, when, when it would have been functioning the way that it was in the first century. And, and Jesus gathered his disciples, and in that setting, he says to them, who do men say that I am? And what's interesting is that the, the, the disciples had heard the scuttle on the street, and they had different answers. And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist resurrected and come back because John the Baptist had been beheaded. And some, some say that you're Elijah and, and that God said he was going to raise up a prophet unto um, Moses like Elijah. And, um, and then Jesus asks them a very pointed question, right? But who do you say that I am? And for the disciples and for disciples of Jesus Christ, it's important that we get that answer right. And really in the defining moment of, of Peter's life, and we like to poke fun at Peter because Peter was like a bull in a china closet. And Peter oftentimes made lots of mistakes in his life, but, but this wasn't one of them. This was Peter's highlight. And Peter says to Jesus, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Peter looked and Jesus looked at Peter and he blessed him. And he said, Peter, you got it right. He said, but flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my father in heaven gave you that information. My father in heaven filled you with that truth that you know who I am. I'm the Messiah, the son of the living God. And so Paul um, is dealing with this in Colossians chapter one, the answer to the question, who is Jesus? So in Colossians chapter one, as an outline, um, who the truth about Jesus, Colossians chapter two, the truth about the cults, Colossians chapter three and four, the truth about you as a believer and a follower in Jesus Christ, or the therefore we get in chapters three and four. So as we studied last week, and as Paul already told us that, that Jesus is eternal God, he's creator God, he's sustainer God, that it's in him, by him, through him, for him, that everything we need is in Jesus. Paul's going to really double down in chapter two about Jesus and who he is and the fact that Jesus is our eternal God. We looked at the in hymns, in hymns, in hymns, in hymns. We saw this idea that that everything that we have in the world is not only created by Jesus, who is God, but is, is sustained by Jesus. Everything in this world is made up of atoms that are positively charged at the center, that when you split an atom, you get an atom bomb. And, and, and science can't explain why the world just doesn't combust. But the Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 1 that Jesus holds all things together. And Peter tells us one day that Jesus will let go. And that all things will burn with a fervent heat and that day will come. But until then, Jesus is the sustainer. Now, as we get to chapter two, we come to um, let's look at chapter two, verse one. It says, for I want you to know what a great conflict. Somebody say great conflict. Like the one you have with your wife, pastor. No, I'm just kidding. No conflict. Not this week. Um, so Paul has this great conflict. Okay, what's the great conflict about? I have for you and those in Laodicea as for as for excuse me and for as many as have not seen me in face of the flesh. So first the the, the conflict. So turn with me if you will to um 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, you, got, you guys should know this verse, this chapter. This is the place where Paul is listing all the things he faced in the ministry. It's hard to go through this list and not preach a different sermon that I'm not preaching today, and I'll try not to. Um, but just to simply, in a nutshell, that sometimes people think that if I'm in the center of God's will, that everything just goes swimmingly perfect in my life. But, but that's not the case at all. The, the case is the best place you want to be it is in the center of God's will, but it's not always the safest place. Oftentimes, being in the center of God's will is the most dangerous place for you to be in your life. And we have that example because we see certain people in the Bible that, that could not walk with God any closer, could not hear God's voice any clearer, could not know and literally walk out the will of God in their lives any closer to Jesus or any better than the Apostle Paul and other examples we have. And you would think that if the, the result of walking that close with Jesus is that life is Disneyland, then, then, then why didn't that live out in Paul's life? And it didn't. And, and Paul says he, he was as close to Jesus, really, as, as I think you can get in the flesh. And, um, and, and is one of the examples for us. You think of men like King David. You think of men like Daniel in the Old Testament, Joseph, different people that, you know, that, that the Bible has such great things to say about and walk so close with Jesus. But Paul, he, he goes through this, all this stuff. So let's, let's look at verse, how about halfway through 23? 
um, in labors more abundant, in stripes, I'm in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often, from the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Who's a mathematician in here? What's 39 times five? 40 stripes, five times minus one, 39 times five, 200 minus five, yeah, 195, right? 195 stripes Paul received from the Jews. Those are equivalent to what Asian countries do when they flog somebody. They say that the recovery from a flogging could last six months for the bruising and and the cuts that you receive to heal. And and, and you lay in bed for months after, after that type of beating five different times in Paul's ministry. He was, he was whipped 39 times. You know what I ask, and, and again, and this is not what I'm preaching. This has nothing to do with the message. But you just can't even go through this stuff without stopping here for a second. You know, for us, we, we couldn't go through it, you know, it, it, one time. When you go through something difficult for the Lord in your life, and, and yet Paul five times, and, and, and I highlight that to bring us down to verse 28. And it says, beside the other things, so all those other things, and he goes on and on and on. You guys know the list. Beside the other things, what comes upon me daily, what does it say in verse 28? Say what? My deep concerns for the churches. So, so Paul lived really with a, a, a real burden. Paul had started churches all over, um, all over Turkey, all over the, the, the world at the time of, you know, his world at the time. And, and one of the things that, that, that Paul lived with every day was, was a concern. And what was Paul concerned about? He was concerned about the well-being of these churches that he started. And Paul was he would go into a place and, and he would just spend a short amount of time there. And he would, he would start a church and he would teach the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and share his experiences and he would teach and he would raise up leaders. And then Paul would leave and duplicate the process somewhere else. And basically what the New Testament is of the epistles in a nutshell is Paul then writing letters back to those places that he journeyed to and stopped. And so he, he was concerned because there was a group that, you know, I often call the second in group. And Paul was the first in and Paul would come in and there would be nothing grassroots. He would find a couple of women down by the, the river praying and he'd get them together and some other folks would start joining him and Paul would start teaching and they'd invite and pretty soon a church is being grown and, and Paul is raising up, raising up folks. And then when Paul left, the second in folks always came in and they would come in behind Paul and he did all the work and all the labor and they would just come in and, and, and different groups. One of the groups that Paul dealt with and we talked about that we studied through in Philippians was the Judaizers. They were they were the group that would come behind Paul and say, yeah, the things that Paul taught you guys about salvation through grace and Jesus is enough. That's all fine and good. You can have all that, but you, you have to be circumcised to go to heaven. You, you have to, you have to tie the tenth to go to heaven. You, you have to observe the Sabbath and stay away from um, certain foods if you want to go to heaven. And they were trying to, to marry the law of Moses with the gospel of Jesus Christ that Paul was teaching. And Paul um, oftentimes was, was concerned and was contending with these folks. And he spent so much of Romans and so much of Philippians and so much of Colossians and so much of his time in his writings in the New Testament back to these churches, warning them about these second in folks. There was a group in the, in the first century that came in after Paul a little bit later that, that was called a Gnostic group. And they were a group of higher learning and education and, and all this stuff that, yeah, Jesus is cool and simple and all that's good. But, but really, you have to have a higher learning and a higher knowledge. You know, it would be similar to our, our um, agnostic folks that, that you might hear or um, even some of the atheist communities that, and, and their, their types of philosophies or even the scientific community who want to make us Christians who believe in creation um, as, as ignorant or dumbed down if, if we don't believe in evolution. And, and these, these things were coming in behind Paul and it gave him such great concern that he actually says that, that even all those things, all the, the whippings and all the shipwrecks and all that stuff. But every day my heart hurts because I'm concerned um, and, I'm, and I want to warn the churches against some of these things. And chapter two of Colossians that we're going to get into, we're into now, it's about Paul really just, just telling people what's, what's, what's the truth. And so again, you know, when I came to Utah five years ago, you know, to be honest, you guys, I, I didn't understand a lot about the LDS church and about the community I was moving to. On paper, I looked it up. And I think if you look it up today, Tooele County lists about 79% of 
Yes, I don't know if that's true, if that's high, that's low. Um, 18% fit in other categories and less than 1% evangelical Christian. People would ask me, what's, what's your plan to reach LDS folks when you get to Tooele as a Christian pastor? In a, in a community that I came from that was flip-flopped on its head. We, we, we came from a town of, of 25,000 and in our little town just outside of Palm Springs and there's some other, all cities, but in our city, 25,000, our church had 3,000 people in it. I mean, we had over 10% of the, the, the population that came to church with us and there was a few Mormons in, in town, but it, it was just different. And I, it was just, just telling you, it was just, it was a culture shock. It was, it was a change. And people would say, well, what are you going to do? And I'd say, I don't know. I don't have a plan. Like, I'm just going to come and preach the gospel. And God didn't tell me a plan. I'm not coming there to go after Mormons. I'm not coming there to... I'm coming because I, you know, God told my wife and I to preach the gospel and love the people. And that's my plan right now. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to preach the gospel and love the people. We're going to teach the word of God and love the people. And so I don't have a plan. Like I'm not there, not their enemy. I'm not there to, you know, to, to, to tell them they're wrong or I'm right. And, you know, I'm, I'm just there to preach the gospel. And so, um, so in, in, in that, I'm trying to be careful. Um, you know, I said some things when we had a Bible study in my house when we first started and I, I, I made a reference to something, you know, that it was, it was derogatory. It was intended to, to kind of belittle a little bit and, uh, had a guy that had started coming to Bible study and, um, was, was loving the word of God, was loving being there and, and just got offended. He was LDS. And I said something about his, um, not going to say it again. <laughs> and, um, he didn't come back. And I, and I, my heart was broken because I, ca- I cared for that guy. And, and by the grace of God, I got to later, I ran into him and I got to apologize and make it right. And he, he, he did eventually start coming back. And, um, but I, I decided that there, there was no reason just to needlessly offend and say things like that. I can teach the truth. I don't need to, I don't need to sway away from what the gospel says. And, and yet I can do it in a way that's not needlessly offensive. And I think that's biblical. And I think we studied that as we went through Romans that God, that Paul says that, that in, in, in needless things, don't, don't banter and fight over those things that in all things love in all things love. And oftentimes people ask me, what should I do about this in this situation? And you know, my so-and-so is getting baptized here or doing that. And should I go and support it? I don't want to, I don't want to tell them that I believe in what they're doing. Cause I don't. And, and, and in all things, I always, I always counsel. It's just my personal opinion. It could be wrong, but my counsel is that in all things, love show love. How do you show love? I don't know what it is in that situation, but you show love in that situation because that's, that's what the word of God says. Show love. Okay. So, so I, you know, I'm, I'm careful to, to not needlessly offend. Okay. Most days today, I don't know how to do that. Okay. So just, uh, I, I'm not going to do it needlessly, but I'm going to teach what the word of God says. And, and, and right through chapter two, as we walk this line and we're going to run into some things that contradict, um, what the LDS church teaches, it's going to contradict what, um, the Jehovah witness church teaches It's going to contradict what, um, the Muslims and, and, the, and the Quran teaches. And so when we, when we face those things, we're going to deal with them gloves off today. Um, no beating around the bush. We had, um, I'm going to try to do it quickly, but, um, we had a, um, new prophet, Call, can I call him the high priest? Ordained. Uh, they like, what do they do? Like shuck, shuck, mindu and the sign of the cross and put holy water. See, I'm getting bad. I'm not, I already said I wasn't going to do it, but um, they, they did. We did here in Salt Lake City have a uh, new prophet ordained. And um, so some people had asked some questions and kind of came up in some conversations. And so I, I want to give you a few, few things just that just from the Bible about that particular topic. Um, that, that that's just Bible. And I want you guys to flip with me if you would really quickly. Um, I think that the term that the LDS church uses is prophet. Um, the church, the, the term that the Catholic church uses is um, Pope. And so it's, it's similar to the same function. And, and um, I'm not sure if Islam has that function. They had that function in Muhammad as their, as their prophet. But since Muhammad has died, they're, they're waiting on the 12th Imam or the new prophet that's going to take the place of Muhammad. But basically the idea um, in, with the Pope and with the, the, the prof, prophet is that um, he has a direct line to God and that he speaks um, in, in the Catholic church, it's called ex cathedra. And so basically what that means is that he sits on a seat in the Vatican. And when he does in this capacity, when he speaks in a certain capacity today, Catholic doctrine is that the Pope 
um, speaks as if the voice of God. It, it, it supersedes anything that was previously spoken by any prophet. It, it supersedes anything that was written down. And so basically it is bond. It is the word of God. When the, when the Pope sits in his seat in the Vatican in St. Petersburg in that God awful gaudy chair that he has that you can see it online where the Pope will sit when he brings revelation from God for the, for the Catholic church. I believe the function is very similar in the LDS church. Not, I'm not positive that basically it's the same idea that the prophet, when he brings a prophecy for, the church that it supersedes any previous prophecy anything written that it basically is bond it is god speaking to the church and so that particular position it's not biblical it doesn't exist today um we don't have that function of a high priest today let me show you a couple things as we walk through this let's start in luke 16 16 and in luke 16 16 it says the law and the prophets were until john when Is that Chinese to anybody? The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. So basically, God had to draw a line between the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints because the way the folks were saved in the Old Testament and the way that folks are saved in the New Testament is different, right? Ultimately, everybody saved the same way, Old or New Testament, because the Old Testament saints didn't go directly to heaven. They went to Abraham's bosom until Jesus died on the cross. So, but you didn't get to Abraham's bosom the way New Testament saints do. So in in, in one respect, everybody's saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. But in the Old Testament, we have Old Testament saints and New Testament saints. They followed the law in the Old Testament, the law of Moses, and it was a system based on um, rules and regulations and following the law of Moses and relating to God somewhat that way. Now, um, God had to draw a line, right? And so he chose John the Baptist. That was the place. So anybody, John the Baptist previously is Old Testament saint. John the Baptist forward is New Testament saint. And now they're required to, to receive salvation through the New Testament plan. And so that's um, that. And then Hebrews, if you will, turn with me to Hebrews. Anybody know where we're going? Hebrews what? Hebrews chapter 1. I like that it starts right in the beginning. Hebrews chapter 1. In Hebrews... The writer of Hebrews tells us, chapter 1, verse number 1, God, who at various various times and in various ways, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by who? By the prophets, a function of God, says, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. Somebody say all things through whom he made the worlds. And so we've already know that Jesus is the creator from Colossians 1. And so it says, in former times, God spoke through the prophets, but he is in these last days spoken to us by his son. And so um, we never lived in the generation that um, related to or understood the holy of holies in the temple. But in Jerusalem, on the day that Jesus died, the veil of the temple and Solomon's temple was grand. It was the eighth wonder of the world. It was one of the most grand things that the world knew at the time, the the size and the magnitude and the gold that was covering Solomon's temple that was then rebuilt by Herod, the temple that was there in Jesus's day. And, And in there was a place called the Holy of Holies that only one person, one high priest would go in one time a year. And so in there, he would represent and he would bring the sins of the people and ask God to forgive them. And in there, he would atone for the sins of the people as he would sprinkle upon the, the, the altar of the, of the Ark of the Covenant. And, and so in there, in the Holy of Holies is where the presence of God dwelt. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil of the temple was rent from the top to bottom. Now we miss the magnitude of, of what that means that each one of us now are welcome. And now everybody... General, normal people, shepherds alike, no matter what your profession was, you know, you now are invited to come into the Holy of Holies. So radical for those that would have lived their lives only wondering what it looked like inside there. Only wondering what it would have been like to be the guy, the high priest who got to go in there only once a year. Tradition tells us that, that in Israel, in the, in the Holy of Holies, when the high priest would go in on the day of Yom Kippur, 
and he would only stand there for a short amount of time, once a year, that they would tie a rope around his ankle with bells on it. And, and that way, if he fell over dead inside there because he wasn't somehow right to be in there, that they could pull him out because lest they go in after him and, and weren't allowed in there, and then they would fall over dead and the bodies would pile up. So they'd put a rope around his ankle as he went in. Now, now that entire concept has changed, that, 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 that we are now welcomed in. It's radical, right? Now, um, the... Turn with me, if you would, to First um, Peter. One more thing along this, then we're going to get we're going to talk about Melchizedek, hopefully briefly. But um, in First Peter, in chapter number two, we're going to look at verse number four and verse number nine. Now, I did a baptism in this church a couple weeks ago. We we have a church baptism now that we wheel out. We move those chairs. We put it right there, and and we baptize folks. And it was um, after church, and a family member of somebody we were baptizing came in and um, after the baptism was one of the last people to stick around. And she said, can I ask you a question? And I said, sure. And and I get this question often and it it usually comes from LDS folks. She said, what authority do you have to baptize? And, and she, she was asking an honest question. So we started honest and, you know, again, my goal is love, but she, she didn't leave too happy that day. Um, But, you know, so I, so I want you guys to know And I want you to be able to defend your faith. I want us to do it in love, always in love. We can win an argument and lose a person and we lost, okay? You you can be right and yet wrong all at the same time because I don't care about being right. That's never my goal. I don't want to be right. I want to be loving. I want to be used by God. And um, so I I get that question. It's not the first time I got that question because it's it's a concept. It's an idea that comes from their church. And so she says to me, what authority do you have to baptize? Basically that the baptisms that we do are not recognized by God because I basically don't have that priestly authority or anointing in order for God to recognize the baptisms that we do. And so I showed her in, in first Peter, I take her, take everyone the same place. I say, well, let's look at first Peter. You want to, you ask me a question. Let's get the answer. So Peter says in verse four of chapter two, you guys there? It says coming to him as a living stone rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. Look at verse five. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So you are a holy what? Verse five. Who's he talking about? He's not talking about Jesus. He's talking about you and me. He's talking about you are a chosen priesthood, a holy priesthood. In verse five, it starts with the word Y-O-U. It's, it's a small letter. Whenever we're talking about deity or God or somebody else, it's always capital. So it's not talking about deity or he's talking about you and me, that we are a royal priesthood. Do you guys ever consider yourself a holy priesthood? Here, I'll, I'll make it official, all right? I'll make the sign of the cross over you. If I had that holy water from the Jordan River, I'd sprinkle that on you. You're, you're, uh, you are a holy priesthood, okay? Look at verse number nine. But you are, who's he talking about in verse nine? You are a chosen generation, a what? What does it say after chosen generation? Come on, you guys really don't think you're royal, do you? That, that, that's, that's such a sweet thing in Jesus, right? That in Jesus, you're royal. In Jesus, you're royalty. Don't ever let anybody tell you different, right? You're a royal priesthood, not in your own works, but in, in, the, in, in the name of Jesus, you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Okay, so, so that's what gives you the authority to baptize right there. You're, you're a holy priesthood. You're a royal priesthood. And, 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 and when the veil of the temple rent, and, and for a New Testament believer, listen, in Colossians chapter one, what did we stress last week? There was a mystery. If you look at Colossians, go back to Colossians chapter one and verse number 26. Paul says this mystery. And then and then and he says, but now has been revealed to his saints to them. God willed to make known what are the riches of glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. So Paul says there's this Old Testament mystery that, that because Jesus didn't 
live and die and rise again. The, 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 the Old Testament saints just couldn't understand it until they got more information. That's what, when you see this term mystery in the New Testament, but Paul says, now it's revealed. So listen, it's not a mystery anymore. Paul's not saying that I'm going to continue. He says, now I'm going to tell you what it was. Thousands of years, people didn't, could not understand this, but now we can understand this. Here is this mystery that folks waited 4,000 years and couldn't understand because they needed more information. And Paul says in verse 27, the mystery is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That was the sermon last week. God's going to take his Holy Spirit, what? And he's going to put it upon all flesh. It didn't happen in the Old Testament. Every once in a while, the Holy Spirit would show up and give a guy a gift of craftsmanship or something he needed. But in the New Testament, Christ in you is the hope of glory. God's going to take his Holy Spirit. The Bible says that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And God's going to fill you with the Holy Spirit and Jesus is in you. You know, as Christians, we use terms that explain things that are theological. and Maybe we simplify them, but we say, ask Jesus in your heart. Receive Jesus in your life. This this concept that Paul talks about here in other places. This idea, this new mystery that Christ is in you. So what gives you the right to baptize folks? What gives you the right to be a priest? Jesus in you. You have the living God living in your life. You have the spirit of God who lives with you every day. So that's why the Bible says, be careful where you go and what you do. Because Jesus is going with you where you go. And he lives with you. And sometimes we want to leave him at home. Sometimes we want to just leave him on the outside of the bedroom wall. But he's in you. That's the hope of glory. Now, now, real quick. Now, I'm just going to do it because I, I think it's important. I want to get through some of this stuff. But I, I do want to say something. And I, and I hope, again, you guys, listen, I, ho- I hope to educate you on really just what the Bible teaches. And I just want to give you some tools. I don't ever want us to use these to the wrong way or, or, or again. But it is the truth. Now, now, this whole idea of the priesthood of, according to the order of Melchizedek. I, I know individuals who believe that they are a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And, and I just want to say, as gentle and as loving as I can, it's just not true. It's not biblical. You cannot be a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. It, you, you, there's only one person that's ever been a priest according to Melchizedek, and that's Jesus Christ. And I'm going to show you that in the scriptures very plainly. Turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 5. Um, the, the, here, I got, I got to give you a little history and I'll, and I'll try to be brief. Okay. In the old Testament, in the law of Moses, God said, um, for good reason that, that he didn't want the king to both be king and priest. We had two offices in the, in the old Testament that were high, high offices. The first one was the high priest. And we have, we have the high priest who goes into the Holy of Holies once a day on the day of Yom Kippur. He represents God to the people. He's the spiritual leader of Israel. He's from the tribe of Levi. He does the, the, the deeds of God as the true function of the high priest. The same way the Catholic Church have a pope today. That was right and that was good. Up until the mystery was revealed, Christ in you and the veil of the temple rent. And God said that the law and the prophets ended at John the Baptist. And now he's going to do something new. He's going to pour his spirit out upon all flesh. And so those functions were good. And just unfortunately, what we've done is we, we've carried some of those things on that God didn't intend to carry on. <clears throat> and so that specific function of a high priest was valid. And, and, and the function that later came and God wanted to, the, the nation of Israel to be a theocracy, he wanted them to be governed by God. That was always God's heart. God's heart was broken when the people came to the prophet and they said that high priest, the prophet, and they came to him and they said, we want a king like the other nations. And God's heart was broken because he said, I want to be your king. I want to rule you. I want to govern you. But if you want a king like the other nations, you'll get what you ask for. And so in the law of Moses, God laid it out that those two offices were not to mingle. You could be king but, and, or high priest, but you couldn't be both. So we have Saul, the first king of Israel. And do you remember who the high priest or the prophet was at the time of Saul? Tell him, Lynn. That's the first time you got the answer wrong. Who is Saul and Samuel? Samuel was there at the time of Eli. Um, That's good. You got a little chink in your armor. Sorry. Yeah. You're not as holy as you thought. (laughs) Oh, okay. Sorry. Eli was the priest. Samuel was a prophet. So um, Samuel is there, right? And, and, and Saul goes to war 
And he, and, he, and he defeats the Amalekites and he comes there um, at Gilgal and he's supposed to um, wipe them all out. And then Samuel is supposed to show up and offer sacrifices to the Lord and, and, and celebrate the victory. Well, well, Samuel waits a week before he shows up and Saul is sitting around. So what Saul does, you can read it in Samuel. He decides he's going to do the duties of the high priest, of the prophet, and he's going to offer the sacrifices. And Samuel shows up and God is not happy because he broke the law of Moses and he acted as both king and priest. He, he was wrong. And Samuel gives Saul this gut-wrenching prophecy that God is going to rip the kingdom from your very hands and he's going to tear it from you today. And then in a very violent act, Samuel takes disobedience of Saul, which is King Agag, that he leaves alive. And Samuel hacks him up, the Bible says, in front of, in front of, in front of Saul. And then God raises up David. And the prophet under David was Samuel for a season until it became Nathan. And then do you remember Nathan? Saw, uh, David got excited and he wanted to build a, a, a temple. The, the temple was still, the tabernacle was still in a tent. And um, David wanted to build it. He came to Nathan at that time who took over for Samuel. And he said, Nathan, I want to build the Lord a house. And Nathan said, oh, David, do all that's in your heart. And then you know the story. Nathan went home and God said, hey, yoo-hoo, Nathan. I didn't tell you that David could build me a house. You get to go back and tell him he can't build me a house. But, but Jesus, from Revelation, is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, right? Jesus is our great king. The Bible says that Jerusalem is the city of the great king. So Jesus is our great king. Jesus is also our high priest. Problem. God don't allow that. Second problem. The line of Aaron that the priests come from, God got upset and he judged his people, and he cursed it. Because the line of Aaron had some, some, some guys in it that were doing things that were terrible, and God cursed the, the, the priestly line of Aaron. So now we have two problems. And so um, in the book of Genesis, we get this very short story of, of a guy named Melchizedek who flies on the scene. He's called the king of Salem. Salem, maybe Jerusalem, king of peace. Um, and, and he comes along and Abraham, who's the patriarch at the time, the father of faith, right? Father Abraham had many sons, that guy. He, he meets up with Melchizedek and he falls on his face to worship him. And what does Melchizedek do? He receives the worship. And that's an indicator that this guy ain't a normal guy. Because every other time in the Bible when an angel shows up and a man falls on his face to worship him, the angel immediately says, it happens three times in the book of Revelation, get up, I'm an angel, don't worship me, worship God. Angels never receive worship, Melchizedek receives worship. One of the signs that, that he is what we call a theophany or a Christophany, it's an Old Testament appearance of God um, or Jesus in the Old Testament. And so Jesus appears in the Old Testament to Abraham and then the first time we get the, the, the whole idea of tithing, the 10th, it comes from this story of Melchizedek because what happens is Abraham offers a 10th to Melchizedek and, and he receives it. And, and then guess what Abraham and Melchizedek do? Coincidentally enough, they break bread and drink wine together. Bread and wine. What does that remind anybody of? Of communion, of the, of the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then guess what, what happens to Melchizedek? Anybody seen Ghost Rider? <laughs> Casper, the dude disappears. No, no other mention, no other story, no other information about Melchizedek again. A little, little, little thing happens in Genesis, and then he, and he's gone. And then we come to Hebrews chapter four, five, and thankfully Paul tells us what it was all about. He tells us that in order to solve the problem that God created. He created a priesthood under the order of Melchizedek that would be for the one great high priest that would ever hold this office, the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have a high priest today that has flesh and bones. We do have a high priest today who's Jesus Christ, who's alive and who is the only priest of Melchizedek. And, and it, it, it's borderline, and I'm being, I'm being very nice with the word borderline, blasphemy to say that you're a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. There was not a character in the Bible or in history who fancied themselves a priest according to the order of Melchizedek of the highest grade quality that God ever recorded in the Bible. You, you name it, Apostle Paul himself, 
did not fancy himself a priest, nor would he ever a priest according to the order of Melchizedek, because that's an office that God created for one and only for the Lord Jesus Christ in order for Jesus to be both priest and king. And explains for you, I'm going to go through it briefly here in, in Hebrews chapter 5. Look what it says in verse number 1 of chapter 5. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he is required as for the people, so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. So he explains the qualifications for a high priest. They're, they're called of God. Aaron was called of God. The priesthood according to the Aaronic priesthood. That's where you get that term, the Aaronic priesthood. Because Aaron was the priest according to the Aaronic priesthood. And those that followed in succession Aaron in line are Aaronic priests. And then he says in verse 5, So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he, capital H or little h? Now whenever you see he who said to him, what does that mean? Both capital H's. He, God said to God, basically, right? Two capital pronouns. He said to he. So God said to Jesus in this situation, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. Helps us understand who's talking to who. When the father says, you know, when Jesus was baptized, he came out of the water and a voice from heaven came out of heaven. And what did God say to Jesus? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. So you have another one of these type of incidents. God says to Jesus, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. And he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Father says to Jesus, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And, and he's the only one that ever has been or ever will be. And then he goes on and... Um, Let's just, let's just fast forward a little bit, you guys. You guys go back and, and study this for yourselves. Verse number 10 in the same chapter, called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. So um, that's Melchizedek in a nutshell. And now I'm ready for verse number two of Colossians 2. I, I do want to get to it because, again, you guys listen and... and Look at verse number four. We're in Colossians two now. Turn back to Colossians two with me, okay? If you guys have more questions on that kind of stuff, we can talk later, but look at In verse number four and in verse number eight, two things. In verse number four, Paul says, now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with what? Persuasive words. So Paul is, is telling them things so that, they, that they're, they're, they're not deceived with persuasive words. And in verse six, he says, I'm sorry, in verse eight, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty a deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. So um, th this is why Paul has gloves off and, and he's worried. His concern is for the churches. In verse number two, it says that their hearts may be encouraged, breaking, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches in the full assurance and understanding of the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of Father and of Christ. I'm going to draw your attention to verse three in a minute, but quickly, Paul starts by saying that this has to happen in love. And again, everything that we do. You know, one of the dangers of um, seminary, of, of higher education, and, and you go and you get a, a degree in theology, a bachelor's degree, and then you go back and you get your master's degree in theology, and then we have higher learning, and then we get doctorate degrees in theology, and, and, and not all the time, but, but too often what happens is that intellectual side of, of the gospel, of the Bible, of understanding, and that, that higher learning, it, it becomes more about um, being intellectually correct and walking everything in such a perfect line all the time that you have all the answers and you know everything. And, and, and some of the times we, we lose the other side of, of that it has to be in love. So in everything that we, we talked about today, everything that we did today, if you share that with somebody, you share that with your neighbor, you share that with your friend and you know, you get them and you're right. Then they don't ever want to talk to you again because you're a jerk. What did you win? You won nothing. 
You won nothing. You, you, you lost everything. You lost your opportunity to witness and love. So Paul says, first, as he's getting into this topic, I love how he starts right here in the beginning with love. It's love, love, love. Don't ever forget that as Christians. I think we need to be um, intellectual. We need to defend our faith. We need to know what we believe. We, there's no such thing as, you know, um, blind faith. That, that's a word that the other side uses. That's not for us. We don't have blind faith. We know exactly what we believe and why we believe. And we can defend it, and it's true. But if we do it without love, we, we've missed it. And so Paul starts there. And then in verse three, what does he say? He says, in whom are all are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Somebody say all. So what else do you need? Who are they hidden in? That's your cue. Jesus. Who are they hidden in? Jesus. Listen, in Jesus, verse three, is this Chinese? It's English. In Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You don't need anything besides Jesus. Does that sound elementary to some of you? But, you know, I'll tell you, one of the other signs of the isms of the cults, and and here is as um, Paul is defending against these beliefs. But but you look, tell me if I'm wrong. Find the different um, cults or, or, and again, when I use the term cult, let me, let me define it really quickly. Okay, cult has become derogatory and offensive, and I understand that, so I'm careful to use it. But, but by definition, all that cult means is anyone who has deviated from Orthodox Christianity. So what did, did the apostles Peter and John and, and, and those guys believe and teach? And, and then they, they set a course. And some folks have decided, and they'll tell you so, that they've just deviated from that course. That's the definition of a cult. Anybody that, that deviates from um, Orthodox fundamental Christianity is the definition of a cult. And, and again, it has become derogatory. But one of the, the marks or the red flags of a cult, the first red flag of any cult, is they always diminish the position of Jesus. We've unpacked this until I'm blue in the face. Okay, I'm not going to do it again today. The second thing is they, they, they usually have multiple different sources of information. Um, you take Islam, for example. Islam is, is, um, had a prophet in 600s who was in a cave alone and um, received, the pro- received a revelation from an angel. And when you read the story of Muhammad and you read the story of Joseph Smith, the hairs will stand up on the back of your neck because when you lay the two testimonies next to each other, they're so similar that it's eerie. Some of the things that happened to Muhammad and to Joseph Smith as they received revelation. But let's just take Muhammad. It's safer. (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Where I live, it's safer. I'm not in Tehran. But um, Muhammad received a revelation from an angel and he wrote a holy book, the Quran, and, and, and hundreds of millions of followers. Islam's huge. Okay. 10 times the size of the LDS church, 20 times the size of the LDS church. Um, but you, you can't know what you believe. You can't be a Muslim just with the writings of the Quran. It's not enough. You have to have the Haditha and, and the other writings of Islam and the prophets and the different things. You couldn't just go in a room with the Quran and come out Islamic and believe what they believe. You have to have other people and other information in order to get the big picture. Okay? But, and, and that's true of a lot of different isms and schisms and, and again, those that fall in that category of cult. Of, of Christianity, it's different. You don't need anything else besides the Bible. If, I, if we took somebody and we could, we could do the men in black thing with the that thing they would do to erase people's memory. Well, if we could erase their memory from birth and then, and then we could give them a Bible and all run, you know, make sure they got nothing else, padded room, and all they had was a Bible. They would come out and they would believe just as similar as you and I believe today, according just to the word of God. And, and it is unique. It's unique that, that, that you don't need anything. And Jesus is enough in the word of God. And then it says, um, as we um, are wrapping up, Let's look at verse number six. So six, we get the the therefore. And it says, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. And so Paul says um, that that you should uh, walk in the Lord. That's the therefore. That's the first therefore that we get in Colossians. And whenever you see a therefore, you have to do what? 
See what it's there for. Okay. We, we've spent a lot of time unpacking the concept of the biblical therefore. So therefore is application word. Therefore is I've taught you some truth. I've told you some, some theology, some doctrine, some biblical things. But you have to, it has to apply to your life. It has to, your Sunday has to change your Monday or your Sunday didn't count. And so Paul gives us these therefores. And he says, so therefore, just walk in Jesus. Abide in Jesus. Live in Jesus. Everything that you have and need is in Jesus. And again, people will accuse you of being elementary. If you tell them, hey, I just want to follow Jesus. I want to know Jesus. I want to make him known. My life is in Jesus. My system is in Jesus. I love Jesus. I hear from Jesus. Jesus is enough. That's all I need. Do you guys know that in Hawaii this week, um, last week, actually it happened on Saturday and I was already done. I didn't come Sunday. We didn't talk about it, but we probably should have for a minute. Um, they had a bomb scare and they had a false alarm in Hawaii and for 38 minutes, the, the folks in Hawaii believed that there was a nuclear bomb headed their way. And the, the, alar- the alarms went off, the alerts went out, the, all the phones lit up, the TVs, the screens, and every one of them said, this is not a test, it's on its way, you have 38 minutes. Last Saturday, you guys look at me like you didn't hear this. Yeah? Yeah, so the stories that came out from Hawaii this week, some interesting you know, there was, there was pictures of, of a guy who couldn't get to a bomb shelter. And, and, and just so you know, Hawaii has been on readiness for about six months now. This is not like just completely strange to them. Ho- Hawaii has bunkers. Hawaii is a target. Hawaii is in range of North Korea. They always have been. We know what happened in Pearl Harbor. We know that there, there, there are, are, you know, far west border that, that oftentimes is vulnerable to these types of attacks. So they've been, Hawaii's been doing schools and, and, and bomb and kind of preparedness for a while now. So when they got this alert, it wasn't completely strange. But these folks really believed for a moment they had 38 minutes to live. And if a nuclear bomb's coming, not too many places you're going to go, but, you know, there's a guy who's putting his daughter in the, in the sewer. They took the sewer cover off because they couldn't get the bomb shelter, and he's shoving his daughter down in the sewer drain. And um, there was another guy who shared that he had two, two kids, and they were on opposite ends of the town, and he, he wanted to spend his last minutes with his kids. He, he wasn't sure which one to go to first. If that was my kids, I wouldn't have any problem deciding. <laughs> <laughs> I'd go straight to Gabrielle. <laughs> the boys are here. They're like, this ain't funny. Because <laughs> it's true. I'm just kidding. I would be so torn. I wouldn't know where to go first. <laughs> but but the, the reality, and I hate to do this to anybody, like, you know, the reality of just um, in that moment, nothing's going to save you. You know, um, Computer's not going to save you. You, you. you know, your science ain't going to save you. Everyone's going to die. And at that point, it's only God that's going to save you. And a lot of folks are crying out to God and calling out to God. And this is the other thing that makes us unique. And this is the other thing that makes Colossians chapter 1 and chapter 2 so important in the life of the believer, that Jesus is enough. Because in that moment, and I could be wrong, but it, if I'm Jehovah Witness, I, people got a lot to do to get saved under what I believe. If I'm LDS, people have lots of rituals and things they got to perform to, to really meet the, the standards. If I'm is Islamic, it's the same, same boat. Um, and, and yet, there is a way. And there is something that separates us because we don't put our faith in those things. We have our assurance in salvation, not based on works. There's only one way you can be assured you're saved is if you don't put your faith in what you do because you never know if you do enough. There's only one way you can know you're saved and be sure that you're saved is if you put your faith and your hope in Jesus Christ. What if you guys were in Hawaii last Saturday? And your, your, your neighbors, your neighbors are uh, freaking out. Could you share the gospel with them in a short amount of time? Could you make it poignant? Could you lead somebody to Jesus and in, that, in that moment? What would you say to them? Or what would you share that, that, that maybe would be the difference of that person going to heaven and hell? And, and know what that is. I mean, you could keep it simple. Greg Laurie did a little story on it. You know, Greg Laurie is the amazing evangelist. And, you know, he shared something that was pretty cool. And just the, the gospel. Could you share the gospel in three minutes? about the gospel in 30 seconds? True stories of, of, of a plane going down. Engines are out. Everybody on the plane is going to die. There's that one guy on there, you know, and he's just repeating, trust and believe on the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. But you know, like the thief on the cross, 
That plane was going down. That dude was going to die. We're going to meet that guy in heaven. Same heaven you and I are going to. There's only one. And, 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 and Jesus shared the gospel with him. And that guy simply put his faith and his trust in Jesus on the cross. And that's the message basically that we share. You could say, and, uh, you know, I think, I think the idea that somebody's a sinner, they have to understand that. But if you come out and you say, you're a sinner, kind of puts people on the defensive. Like they didn't know they were sinners. Okay, I'm not going to get into that, but he, how about starting with, with something that's positive, though? Say, God loves you, and your sins have separated you from God. God loves you, but your sins have separated you from God. But the good news is that Jesus Christ died on a cross, and by the blood of Jesus Christ, your sins can be washed away, and that you can go to heaven if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And then I want you to write this down, memorize it, know it. I think it's important that you know Romans 10, 9 and Acts 16, 31. Romans 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, I love these next words. So simple. You shall be saved. So simple. So true. So the enemy of what the world wants to tell us and what, what, what all these people that came in after Paul said, hey, that's all good, but that's not true. You need more. Same thing they're saying today, and I don't care what front it wears. It's the same lie. In Acts 16, the Philippian jailer had a knife to his stomach and was ready to kill himself. And Paul said, put it down. We're all here. And the guy put it down and he said, what must I do to be saved? Love these questions. And even simpler that time than Romans 10, 9. Paul says this in, 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 in Acts 16, 11 to the Philippian jailer. Philippian jailer was key in starting some of the churches and God used him mightily from that point forward. Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. That's it. That's what Paul said to the Philippian jailer. Was about to kill himself. If I'm in Hawaii last week, and I know Acts 16, 11 and Romans 10, 9, at least I can say, hey, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. Amen? Let's stand. Hey, let's have the worship team come up and lead us in a rock and roll song. How about that? Now that... Hey, don't leave, you guys. I know we went over today and I apologize, but... Um, it's not my fault. It's my wife's fault. Actually, the, the 10 minutes that I went over was the 10 minute business meeting that we did today. So our church service itself was, uh, right where it needed to be. Um, listen, we, we, um, we're going to worship the Lord and this, this song is just fun. It's one of my favorite worship songs. I hope that's, that's where we're at. Right. Um, and, and so will you guys hang out with me just for one song? And, and as we sing this song, um, my wife and I, we're going to be up front to pray for you. And um, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to do what we've been talking about today. And just saying that in your life that Jesus is enough, admitting that, you know, God loves you, but your sins have separated you from God. And, and there's an avenue back to God. And it's through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And it's through God's um, work of sending his son to die on a cross. And that Jesus is all you need. You don't need me. You don't need this church. We're not the only church. We're not the best church. We're just a church as a part of the body of Christ that believe in the inerrancy of God's word, that God's word is true and God's word is all you need to be saved. And the words of God, the, the words in God's word are true and they're simple. And, and so if maybe you came here today and you're just not sure if you're a Christian, you're not sure if you're born again, you're not sure where you would go if you died today. Don't leave here today without making your peace from God. Because one day that bomb might actually be headed towards Hawaii. And hopefully that even in that tragic situation with that false alarm, there were people who, who reflected of where they were and, and where would they go in 38 minutes. And so just know that you know there's assurance of salvation. And it's not when we put our faith or our trust in, in any actions or any, any, any service that we can do. It's just when we say we can't do it, we're going to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and we're going to believe on his work on the cross. And Jesus is done, done, done. And the cults, the isms, the schisms are do, do, do. Do this, do this, do this for God. But Jesus says, it's done. I did it for you. 
you know, in Islam, they, they, one of the highest awards and honors in, in, in Islam is that if you sacrifice your sons in Aliyah and you strap bombs to them and you send your sons into war, you receive a high, high honor in Islam. But in Christianity, you don't have to strap bombs to your son because God strapped a bomb to his son and God sent his son to die so that you don't have to send your sons to die. And so all you have to do today is say yes to Jesus. So I want to lead us in a prayer as a church. And then please, I know it's late, but will you you bear with me today? Um, We might get lucky and still beat the Methodists to the restaurant, okay? But let's, um, maybe they, they don't drive as well as we do in the snow. But let's give Jesus five more minutes. And I want to pray for us as a church. And if you want to get right with the Lord today, just say this prayer with me. It's not about the words. It's about the condition of your heart. And then come up and tell Lydia and I, and we will pray for you up here. Father God, we thank you and we praise you. And Jesus, I pray that that salvation would come to this house. And Lord, that folks that don't know Jesus would get saved. And folks that do know Jesus would grow and be on fire. And um, Lord, I pray that that you would bless our, our house, Lord. And, I, and if you want to ask Jesus in your heart, let's as a church together, will you pray with me out loud? Dear Lord Jesus, please come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. I believe that you died on a cross and rose again the third day. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.